0: Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we wrap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome. I'm back with Andrew McNaughton. I'm going to call this part two, because I want to keep going with the same thread. And we started part one with the big picture question of balancing uh, balancing uh, health, health and, and longevity goals. Yeah. With fitness and peak performance goals. And I know we're going to take some more tangents, but we'll keep that theme running through the middle of of both of these shows and see what comes out of it. So thanks for joining us again. Um, Let's kind of wrap it up with trying to answer or just give some clarity to the opening question. And that is like, how do you know when you're a, a little bit off on the wrong fork? In other words, how do you know that Your health and longevity are being compromised by your uh, your training regimen. Are there some signs you should watch out for? Well, the best kind of stuff. the
1: The best way to do it is do regular um, health assessments. You know, um, through your doctor or whatever, and get blood tests or whatever like that. You know, that's what I do. Um, the The simplest way um, is you know if you don't want to, you know, because. These are things that mm. most likely you like to do. Mm. So on days or weeks or whatever, when you don't want to, then, you know, that's probably a good enough, a, a good enough indicator. Oh, gosh. You know? I mean, then Kelly... There, uh... Then there is the cold or sick or injured, those things too. But, <laughs> Duh. You know, yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, the want to factor is really simple because you lose the want to unless, unless you're really hyped because you have a race coming up and you're sort of freaked out not to do the work. But remember, um, one workout can screw up your race, but it can never make your race. Hmm.
0: So if in doubt... do Even that Lionel Sanders YouTube video where he did four times 5K at 16 high, descending down to 16 low? Yeah, I think, I think the, the perfect
1: example of, of that is there's an athlete who's very good, and he's only really comfortable in a state of overtraining, right? I think that um, that is what we feel is normal because that's what we've been taught and that's what we've grown up. And, you know, as we're doing our builds, we have that uh, sense of invincibility and we do races when we're doing our builds and we do great. Um, however, that's not, a, that's not a sustainable uh, way of, 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 of working. You need to rest and, and let your body come back and forth and, and, and uh, you can't do it all the time that way. So, Um, yeah,
0: I would say that that was probably a bad decision. Uh, back to your, um, your, your, your benchmark. I remember Dr. Kelly Starrett saying this, uh, in the video interviews, which were awesome in the primal endurance online course, skip right to those. It was some really amazing insights. And one of them, he was talking about, um, the, the physiological studies of training markers and number one on the list Above all the lactate blood pricking and uh, blood oxygenation, uh, which is also a pretty good one. Um, the, the Mighty Max uh, meter that tests your blood oxygenation it takes one second. It's super simple. You stick your finger in and you see that you're hopefully up at 98, 99%. And if you're not, um, you're cooked a little bit. So I, I like that one. Uh, the, the Massimo Mighty, Mighty Max, I think it's called. Check it out on Amazon. Um, but he said desire to train was number one on the list. In other words, that's a better marker of overtraining status or health-compromised uh, behavior than anything else. Simple.
1: Appetite probably next if you're always hungry or mm. not hungry at all. Either one, huh? E- either one. Wow, Yeah. yeah. Didn't all, think about that. Always hungry is, is usually a good sign of overtraining because you, you can't get enough nutrition for what your body's been doing, and it's actually really good if your body gives you that feedback. Um, a lot of people don't get that feedback, but for the lucky few who do, uh, it's a really good. It's a really good sign and, and uh, something to pay attention to. Um, or of course, the opposite, no appetite. You know, uh, that's also another sign. Um, uh, my favorite things about in racing um, uh, for food and water is is how your brain works. And I know that um, if I'm sort of uh, grumpy, that it's usually hydration. And if I can't concentrate, it's usually food. What if you're smiling? I'm usually smiling, <laughs> as Brad probably can attest. That means you're passing people. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, well, um, you know, it's fun. It should uh, be fun. Also, let's put in that plug for something that uh, Maffetone talked about in detail and you hinted at briefly there, which is um, during this, um, uh, this uh, phase of the stress response where it's called— oh, there's different it. terms for it, but yeah. the, um, the adaptation phase— you know, you are pumping out a high volume of stress hormones and you feel fantastic for three to six or 12 weeks. And you're buoyed on this artificial high of chemicals in your body the endorphin like pain relieving, um, high peak performance chemicals, particularly cortisol. That's why chapter 10 in the Primal Endurance book is called The Cortisol Showerhead and talking about how you can adjust the spray nozzle if you want to live a long time or do you want to do a fire hose and, and go crazy like, um, uh, the, the, the Jocko, the military guy that's got a book out and uh, shows his his digital uh, watch on Instagram, 3.45 a.m., where the hell are you? I just finished my workout, that kind of mentality where it's like, go, go, go. Um, I have a little bit of an exception to that because I'm an old guy now. And we want to check in with all these hot shots when they're in their 50s, but anyway. Brad was never a 3.45 a.m. Sorry. I've already done my workout. What a unique nah, personality. Can't can't relate to that. <laughs> uh, but the point is that during this, uh, this adaptation phase when you're pumped with stress hormones, you might feel great and you might report great workouts, no soreness, uh, everything's grooving along. And so then you have to use your higher human reasoning skills to sit back for a second and go, wow, I've been putting in long hours at work. I've been doing great workouts, haven't slept that much, but I've been waking up wide awake, feeling good anyway. And if you write all this stuff down on a piece of paper and sit back and observe uh, you might be in this adaptation phase where you have to, uh, you're either going to head to a cliff when the stress hormones stop producing at normal levels and you have a major crash, injury, illness, burnout, like you stated. Uh, but if you can take corrective action and say, wow, I've done a lot of good work, we know from science and from practical experience that taking a week's rest period after a ton of good work it could be the greatest thing and the thing that really leverages you to long-term breakthroughs rather than crash and burn style. But to take note of that artificial high, that can be so alluring.
1: So one of the things that I notice in working with people who have worked either by themselves or with other people in the past, and they say, this is what I did when I had my best race. And nine times out of 10, (laughs) it was too much and they were in this response that we were just talking about and that's why it's impossible for them to duplicate it because it was one of those things where the stars were aligned and you were rested enough to do this 8 week block that was insane and still have enough left to do your one event right um and yet when you they try to duplicate that same you know same uh power output and running times and all this stuff they can't do it because it's just it, it it's not duplicatable right so um Knowing when to rest and listening to your body's feedback is huge. And until you learn how to do it, you're better off to have someone help you with it. And even and even once you can read your own signs, it's still better off to have you're better off to have someone to bounce things off of and and have these conversations. I mean, Brad and I have had these conversations for over 30 years now. We've always helped each other. You know, and there's always been someone who we respected to bounce things off. And we didn't always agree, but we always respected the other person's answer. And we tried different things sometimes. And sometimes we were right. Sometimes we were wrong. But we are always sort of in constant sort of dialogue, brainstorming about, you know, what would be. This is the great question, too, to ask yourself. What would be best? You know, um, I remember going into uh, a race about five years ago and I was five weeks out. And I was asking myself, "Am I happy with my fitness today?" And the answer was yes. So then, from there, I was like, "All right. So if this is as good as I'm going to be, uh, which is entirely possible, because I didn't think I'd get to be as good as I was at five weeks out." So then I was like, "All right. So the risks of ta- uh, that I would take to get better versus messing it up and and actually losing fitness or getting injured or or not being able to run or getting you know getting sick or something." versus backing off a couple of weeks earlier than I had originally planned because I was already happy with my fitness. You know, I was weighing that. And that's something that you need to do because quite often we get these builds and they go really well. And all of a sudden you're ready, but it's a month early. (laughs) So then what do you do? You don't keep going, but you have to figure out, you know, how to maintain that fitness or maybe even increase it a little bit through rest and specific work, as opposed to, you know, your continued your continued build that you are
0: supposedly planning. Here's the thing, too, and I, I don't know if I'm off base here, but I feel like we make way too much of the intricacies of the preparation, even up to the level of elite athletes, where it's so important to uh, follow this uh, predetermined schedule and hit your workouts before the big race. And I feel like um, the the stress response, if you're a healthy person and you have that Figurative gun to your head. Let's say at the Olympic trials, where there really is, a, you know, it might as well be a gun to your head. You're summoning all of your energy reserves to have the, the the best race of your life. I just don't think it matters that much what happened in the previous three weeks, whether you hit that last important workout and hit the right intervals on your on your track. But we see this uh, now. We have so much access to information. You see the YouTube videos and the interviews and the um, you know the the commentary on the blogs about how they knew they were going to perform well uh, because they did a great workout nine days out and and all that nonsense. It seems like it's uh, much ado about uh, these particulars that everything, it can be overridden by um, just being healthy and being sensible, or you can ruin everything by doing that last workout too hard and falling apart.
1: Well, Maffetone talked about that too, right? Uh, He talked about... um Not needing anywhere near as much speed work to get ready for races Mm. as as we do. You know, I mean, right now we talk about needing uh, uh, 8 to 12 weeks of speed to get your, you know, get your legs moving again. And I remember with me, it took me, when I started doing track, I would do the first week fairly easy because I didn't want to get stiff. And then usually by week three, I was running the intervals that I wanted to run or that I was running the year before, um, whether they were miles or halves or half miles or whatever. Um, and then I would do five more weeks when I was probably just getting more tired because I wasn't going any faster. I was just doing it five more times. Right. And um, he his, his explanation is, well, that's unnecessary. Why waste that energy and training when you could have been doing either less or five more races, you know, and, uh, it, you know, it makes sense. It does. You, you just don't need as much as we think you need. And then it goes back to that feeling of overtraining is what feels normal, you know, and also we need to train our brain and that last workout quite often gives us a sense of peace when in fact it's putting ourselves in that position where now I feel like I'm overtrained and this is normal. and This is the way I should be going into this race.
0: Right. Uh, Mark and I talked about this on one of the old shows and it was upon my return from visiting with Maffetone and filming him in Arizona for the Primal Endurance online course. Ooh, that can kind of count as a commercial. Hey everyone, order the course, primalendurance.fit. Okay. Anyway, we were kind of debriefing about the stuff he was talking about. And Mark came up with kind of the brilliant insight that um, we probably don't need to train our brains to suffer in the competitive setting. We're probably really good at that no matter what. I mean, you know, it hurts. It's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt from mile twenty to twenty-six in the marathon no matter how many times you do twenty mile runs. Oh, well, I think, so, think there are
1: the, people who are gonna be good at it and people who aren't gonna be good at it. And the people who are good at it probably shouldn't do it a lot in training because they'll probably get less good at it.
0: hmm And if you're not good at it, then maybe you're not meant to be at the front of the pack. And that was one thing that yeah. Phil put in there too. It's like, look, don't forget about genetics <laughs> when we're talking about your 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 spot in the finish lineup and your goals for the coming season. Don't forget about that one. So if you got 478th and you want to get into the top 100, this may be, um, we want you to get to your highest potential, but there's that factor in play. And a lot of times people try to override that with overly stressful training patterns and they do worse than 478. So respect your genetic limitations. Um, but back to the example, um, let's for a moment, separate uh, the brain on one end here let's put the uh, aerobic system the cardiovascular system in one category and then let's put another category of your anaerobic muscle fibers which do not need that much training according to Maffetone, and and Uh, when you train the aerobic system because the muscle fibers are interwoven with oxygenating muscle fibers and the fast twitch the non-oxygenating muscle fibers when you train aerobically you're stimulating the fast twitch muscle fibers you're giving them a training benefit as well and we know that training that high intensity that fast twitch muscle fiber is very physically stressful to the body so do you need to train the train the brain to suffer probably not Do you need to extensively train the fast twitch muscle fibers to fire over and over in an explosive manner? Probably not. And then you have your aerobic system, which you can gain uh, more and more benefits as you increase mileage, increase volume. That's why we see the world record holders are putting in big mileage, but subject to all the other stress factors in your life. Um, We're talking about a much less ambitious training schedule to succeed wildly when we Get rid of the risks of overtraining, burnout, hormonal imbalances, and things that people are towing the starting line with right now because they think they need to do track once a week. Uh, yeah, and it's that
1: what we were saying before. It's that that last one workout. If I could just get this one last one in, I'd be
0: really content. You know, because my mind needs it. Because I'm a type A, and I'm in, I have insecurities brewing in the background. I've talked to my training partners. Yeah. Whatever's cooking up in they've the brain, they've done it. Right. And also the um, um, the 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 pack mentality where we're reading magazines, we're reading books, we're looking to our elites and they're reporting how they train. And of course, we know that their genetic gifts have no relevance to the average person. So we shouldn't listen to we should listen to them last rather than rather than first. And and also, when I had my best race, I did these eight workouts,
1: you know, and uh, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. You know, it's not always the case. You may not be able to duplicate that ever. You've got to start this year with the idea of this year is its own
0: year. Oh, my gosh. I think that was one of the biggest mistakes I made personally was going back into the archives and seeing my magic formula Mm -hmm. that delivered so many wonderful victories two years ago or six months ago or whatever. And it really has no relevance to um, the present time because there's different factors at place and what worked for you last year um, you know, might not work uh, the, the coming year, especially if you've been burning that candle at both ends and using up, you know, your, your initial burst of energy and, and hormones that you direct to the sport and, and succeed and improve for six months straight or eight months straight or two years. And then though there's a great article called um, Running on Empty, I believe is the title, and it was about these uh, top ultra runners And many of them, like uh, I think a, a dozen were probably mentioned in this article, who burst onto the scene. No one had heard of them. And they're starting to win world level 100K and even 100 mile events. And they won two in a row. And then they won another 100. And they did five 100 mile runs in one year. And then after about two years, there was this pattern where they disappeared from the face of the earth and could never get back to elite level again. And some of the individual interviews. We're talking about now the guy's a chicken farmer in rural New Mexico, and he used to be winning hundred milers, but they, they just ran out of juice because they gave their all to the sport. They got it done with that stress hormone uh, assistance, and then they ran out of energy.
1: Well, we talk about this. There's an Australian coach who's, who's very well known. And he has a, you know, he has an 18 month window where he gets people super, super fit for 18 months. Mm. And then, and then they break down. Right. Uh, it's very, very hard training, and if you can handle it, uh, you do well, and if you can't, you break down.
0: So uh, That's the NCAA yeah. uh, endurance sports training yeah. uh, protocol for Eastern, the last 40 years. It's disgraceful. Eastern, yeah.
1: Eastern Block is like that too. They get you know 20 people, and they beat the crap out of everybody, and the two people end up being world record holders, and everybody else is injured and doing something else.
0: Um, same with high school, I'm sorry to say, and I'm so happy to hear from uh, a couple coaches recently – uh, talking on our facebook group so go join that facebook group the primal endurance facebook group uh, but talking about how they adopted the uh, the primal endurance the aerobic emphasis the math method whatever you want to call it where they slowed these kids down and allowed them to enjoy the sport and build a base properly and not kill them and drive them like uh like dogs like sled dogs how about that guy that um drugged his sled dogs, is the famous iditarod guy I think the news just came out here in October, 2017, (laughs) and, you know, so they're driving their athletes like dogs, and then the kids quit and burn out before they have a chance to reach their potential, and it's all in the name of competitive success, but no one's looking not only at the long term, because we know that your high school running career is not long term, nor is your NCAA Division I collegiate career, but just the actual uh, getting the best results at the end of the season, if you slow down and train less in the in the preceding months, for the most part, uh, it's going to work. My cross-country coach in high school
1: uh, found Arthur Lydiard's book, um, which is basically this. He was, it was most of your runs, I think it was 80% of your runs, should be, you should be doing where you can have a perfectly good conversation, not much different than you were sitting on the sofa. And that's how he did most of our runs in high school. And wow! Revolutionary idea. And then would, we had yeah. tempo runs, and then we had track workouts. You know, and uh, yeah, it was, it, uh, it was pretty good. I was never very good at running in high school, but uh, I mean, I was someone. I think I broke the five minute mile twice. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, it was good. We all had fun. We
0: all loved the sport. And look at me, you know, still going fifty two years later. You're probably one of the faster people on your team right now. Of the people, I don't know if you could be Kevin McKinnon still. Uh, you beat him for a little if he's listening for a few years there
1: Uh, i could beat him when there was a swim and a bike first but i couldn't beat him in the run part but i could get enough of a lead um but uh yeah i don't know i mean it's uh you know running slow and enjoying it and and having a good conversation uh for me is most of the fun and then running super fast is also fun too so
0: Uh, Well, we talked about this before with your cycling uh, uh, protocol back in your day on on the circuit when you were widely regarded as um, the best or at least one of the very best cyclists, particularly on triathlon circuit. And anyone who had uh, observed you or trained with you would, would be shaking their head because all you did was pedal around at a slow speed and futz around and run errands in the San Fernando Valley once in a while going out for those ambitious long rides in the mountains where you would climb up to the highest peaks at a really high rate of speed but generally speaking you were uh, doing gently paced training that was building that aerobic base that you could fire from such a high platform when it was time to go anaerobic and throw down for a time trial my my friend kyle used to make fun
1: of me he goes you ride 15 miles an hour all the time whether you're going uphill or downhill or on the flats."
0: (laughs) that's right because the (laughs) the hard stuff usually came on the uphills was your um your, your training method Okay. I think we have some big uh, messages and themes to think about. So don't think of your training (laughs) as as being healthy.
1: Think of it as being training. Mm. Um, Think of your events as um, not necessarily a healthy endeavor, but something that you love to do or want to do. So you do it in the healthiest way possible, but knowing that you will be giving up or
0: sacrificing health to achieve that type of fitness. Uh, Dr. James O'Keefe, the great TED Talk called Run For Your Life But Not Too Far and At A Slow Pace. It's on YouTube, so search for that. And it's about 15 minutes long. He talks about the cardiovascular disease risk factors of even moderate aerobic or endurance training. So he says anything over like uh, a couple hours a week at a slow jog, so it's like 10 to 15 miles a week, you're maxing out your aerobic and your, not aerobic for an athlete, but you're maxing out your cardiovascular disease risk factor benefits so in other words you're getting out of that sedentary category mm-hmm. you're showing that your heart can work well and anything beyond that you are very likely increasing your risk factors for calcifications afibs that we've talked about on the shows in the past and the extreme prevalence among serious endurance right. athletes of fluttery hearts and heart irregularities um, we've had some really tragic occasions where people Um, you know, either dropped dead or had extreme uh, declines in health due to overworking the heart because the heart's a muscle, just like the bicep, when you get sore muscles from doing too hard in the gym and doing it for years and years and years, bad stuff. So realize um, what you just said, defining your cutoff point is anything over those first couple hours a week. Now you're transitioning away from health and you're aspiring to do performance. Do it right. It's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to be, um, a risk factor like smoking to go do a mini triathlon, but we do have to emphasize that do it correctly. Watch out for those stress hormones because they will fool you every time into overtraining patterns. And next. Next. So many (laughs) topics to discuss next. Why don't you chip in and make a suggestion either on the Facebook group, uh, Dr. Lindsay Taylor, our incredible moderator of the primal endurance group and the keto reset group. You can jump over there. You can join both and be totally in the cool scene. Um, Make a comment there about the show or just send an email to info at primalendurance.fit. Love to hear from you on the feedback. And thank you so much for listening. I just want to say this one thing. Brad is absolutely amazing how fast he
1: speaks and how much information he gets out in a short amount of time just off
0: the top of his head is awe-inspiring. You know, I think it's like Russell Brand, the comedian and musician that did those wonderful movies. And he was on Joe Rogan's show, and he talked so quickly for three bloody hours about all manner of uh, things on the planet Earth and deep thinking. The guy was incredible. I mean, he just let it out. He was like a a brain dump, Um, very entertaining guy. He was talking about addiction in his new book, Addiction. I was uh, interested to just um, hear people go off. But we're also trying to look out for those people that listen at one and a half speed so they don't have to you know, be bored.
1: be bored. I went to the play Hamilton and the... Never heard of it. Th- they speak so quickly in Hamilton that um, I, I'm so glad that I listened to the soundtrack a few times before I went because it's just absolutely mind-boggling. It's brilliant and it was really fun to go, but there are so many words in such a short time if you get there and you haven't prepared for it. Uh, it's It will be a shock. Anyway, this is Another commercial at the end. You could could be a player in that show.
0: Thank you, everyone. Talk to you next time on the Primal Endurance Podcast. Hi, this is Brad Kearns to tell you about Primal Endurance Online Multimedia Educational Mastery Course. And what we have done for the past year is basically bring the book Primal Endurance to life with a series of videos, and other multimedia educational material, audio, ebooks, all accessed at this online portal with everything you need to succeed in endurance training. And if you're trying to do this stuff, if you're enjoying these compelling challenges and trying not to get sick, injured, burnt out, fried, this is going to help you approach your endurance goals in a healthy, balanced manner and promote your health rather than compromise it. Get away from carbohydrate dependency and progress toward fat adaptation. It's over 120 videos many with the experts and also many others with the step-by-step instruction of what's in the book. So if you're too busy to read or you like to have a more comprehensive learning experience, check out Primal Endurance online. You'll have everything you need there at primalendurance.fit.